The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. Just a little bitty book here, just a few chapters, 1 John. I've shared with you the last couple weeks out of 1 John, and... Um, John the Apostle, he's later in age, we don't know exactly, maybe around 85 years old at the time, but we, you see several times in the passage of Scripture, and you'll see it in verse uh, 28 this morning, he makes a statement, in fact in verse 28 he makes this statement, he says, and now, dear children, it's a term of endearment, and he is uh, no doubt the pastor, I mean he has a pastoral heart, but he speaks to not just the um, churches in Asia Minor, but even Lord's anointed and so empowered this word to speak into our hearts today, if you'd open up your heart to hear from the Lord. But you hear John's heart as a pastor. He's burdened for the people of God in Asia Minor in particular, and in Ephesus where he's doing ministry, and he rightly so. He has a burden for them. Uh, He calls them dear children. He considers them, uh, in one sense, a father to these that have come to faith in Christ. And he is now, he knows he's about to go and be with the Lord pretty soon. Uh, but he carries this burden. And you see it. I've already shared with you several things. I'm going to share with you just a few things this morning. But his heart is for the children of God, for the people of God here uh, in this first century. I mean, he wants them to continue in him. That's what it says in the Bible. To remain in him. In other words, to stay faithful and true to the faithful and true one, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he, he wants him to, 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 to abide in Christ and to remain in him. And, and his, his, his burden of his heart, you can kind of sense that here. And we've already seen earlier in the, in the, in the, in the letter, there are things from within and without that are, that are grabbing at the hearts of God's people. Friend, it's no different than today, is it? Things haven't changed just because we're the 21st century. Yeah, we got a little more technology and we got all these wonderful little gadgets and different stuff today. But man, there are really things that in this world, and you'll see in just a moment, that come against the people of God. And he is seeing it just unleashing in the hearts of some of these dear children that he is ministering to. And his heart's breaking. He wants them to remain in Christ. He wants them to stay faithful and true and to, and to, and to grow and to be vibrant. He goes on to say in verse 28, there's a lot said here. He says, dear children, continue in him, meaning in Christ, so that when he appears, that means the Lord, that we, we as a body of Christ, that we might be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Confident and unashamed. Uh, That word confidence literally means uh, to, to break it down, it means one who has the ability to speak freely of their Lord, to proclaim outspokenness, unashamed. I mean, in other words, I'm, I'm going to declare the goodness of God, the praise of God, the glory of God, the, the salvation of our Lord to those around us. I will not be ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be confident is one who speaks freely and openly Whenever, the, whenever opportunities arise, to have confidence, a boldness in us. Now, I will submit to you that God knows we need a lot of help in this. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. And he empowers us to speak openly and freely of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To be unashamed. 
It literally carries the idea of not shrinking away from Him, from the Lord, in shame at His appearing. I was talking to someone this morning. I, I, uh, I won't embarrass him, but anyway, I said, man, you look like you've gotten taller <laughs> when he came in. And uh, he had to duck to go under the breezeway. You can probably guess who it was. But anyway, there's only a few of us in here. I don't know if there's a few, but anyway, there's one I know. Uh, but, uh, but he made a statement to me. He said, I must be holding my head a little higher today because I made a little comment about, man, you're getting taller. In the same sense, John wants the Christians to hold their head a little taller. To be unashamed means not to shrink down before their Lord's appearing, but to stand with their head held high. Not in arrogance or pride, but in confidence of whom they believed. That when he comes back for them, he's, we're not, not going to be looking down at the ground, hiding, Head held high. We're ready. Lord, come, come quickly. Unashamed. Not shrinking back. So John's heart is for the Christians here that he's ministering to, do, to, to be confident and to be unashamed. To not shrink back at his coming. Before him at his coming. Now I will tell you, church, I know we only got a few minutes here together, but the Lord is coming back. As much as he rose from the dead, as much as he ascended on high, he shall return uh, John uh, really believed he was going to come back in his lifetime. He really believed uh, of the imminent return of Christ. In fact, when you read the Scriptures, the churches in the Scriptures believed of the imminent return of Christ. Now, 2,100 years later, I, I know that some of us might be kind of, you know, thinking he may not be coming back anytime soon. Now, some would say, no, there's even a greater chance we're probably at the end of that age and you ought to be looking even more intently. But make no mistake, he's coming. Now, I don't know what you said. Now, listen, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, and I'm not going to tell you some certain day, some certain time, but I'm telling you, the Lord is coming back. The imminent return of Christ purifies the hearts that, that love Him. I mean, it really does. God's return. I mean, I mean, the reality is, if, he, if we knew He's coming back this afternoon, you know where we'd be? We'd be up in the church house gathering together. Just like they were in the first century when He said, don't leave this place until the Comforter comes. The Holy Spirit that we sang all about this morning. He said, don't leave, don't, don't leave until he comes. Their, 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 their intention was not to leave until they received that Holy Spirit, that presence of God, because that was promised. Well, listen, as he made that promise, he also made a promise that he, he will come again, and it will happen. John is concerned that the children of God are going to be not confident And not unashamed. He's concerned that they're going to be found wanting when the Christ returns. I mean, when he looked over to the congregations in Asia Minor, he saw all these things kind of seeping up throughout the congregation. People had drifted away from the Lord. Some had begun to say, oh, well, he really didn't live in a bodily form. And he didn't really die on the cross. It was some kind of mystical thing and some kind of spiritual thing. And also this crazy, erroneous thinking was going on. And it's breaking the heart of John. Because he sees that God's people are all starting to be, become scattered. They're not confident anymore. In fact, they're waning in their passion and their love for the Lord. So he writes this letter. 
Now, you know, John doesn't mince words at all. He just comes straight at it. So you can just, you know, some people say, well, what does that mean in Greek? Probably about the same thing it means in English when you're reading it. Anyway, there's several things here. How do we live a confident, unashamed life before the Lord? Uh, first thing is this, be aware. Hate what God hates. That's a strong word. But in chapter 2, verse 15, I'm going to back up a few verses. He says this, I mean, he says it clearly to the church. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Don't love it. He said, anyone that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty strong, pretty clear, pretty simple. If you, if you love the world with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, that means you're not loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It's just that simple. He says you can't love one and say you love the other. You can't swing between two things. In fact, you get into Revelation, he'll tell you, say you can't hang between one or the other. You've got to choose one or the other. For everything in the world, the cravings of the simple man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has, comes not from the Father but from the world. You know what? The world and all its desires, you know what's going to happen? It's going to pass away. But the man, woman, child, student of God, who does the will of God, lives forever. And so to God be the glory. So, I mean, so real clearly here, he says, look, be aware. Hate what God hates. Don't love this world. And, and all I can tell you is this. The Bible is full of precious promises and truth and instruction. God is holy and pure and full of love and righteous love. And, 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 and make no mistake, God is opposed to anything that opposes him and what he stands for. The absolute, here's how MacArthur about the absolutely perfect love of God demands that those who love him share this hatred of those that oppose him. The psalmist, you know this from your Bible, in uh, Psalm 97.10 says, Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Then later on in Psalm 119, from your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. I mean, if, if it gets any clearer, Solomon outlined for us in Proverbs. He says there are six things which the Lord hates you, seven, that are abomination to him. What are they? Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among the brothers. Now, the truth is, God has opposed. I mean, you, you may not like the word hate, but he does not like. He hates those things that are inconsistent with his holy nature and his glory. And so John lays out here this threefold matrix of temptation that comes against the people of God. And he talks about it. He talks about the love. He talks about it here in verse 16, the cravings of sinful man. It's translated it means the flesh, the sensuality. And bottom line is it's not just in the first century, but even so today. There's things in our flesh that oppose the things of God. He goes on to say this covetousness. With our eyes. He says, don't, don't covet those things that others have. Don't covet things that you don't need. You can become overwhelmed with that, filled with that. He said, don't, you don't need that. God opposes that. And then he, and then he summarizes it in, in the ver And the third thing is with pride or boasting. Someone who says, oh, this is what I have. This is what I've worked for. This is all that I've done for myself. And, and the Lord would say, no, I'm opposed to that. Because why? God has given everything that we have and everything that we will ever have has come from the Lord. Arrogance, pride, flesh, sensuality, all these things are ways that we're tempted, as the church was here, to what? Not be confident and not be unashamed before His appearing. And in fact, they diluted their spirituality. They ran after these things. There were people, unfortunately, good night, even so today, that would say, it doesn't matter, you can do whatever you want, and then just go over here and sing a song and say you love Jesus. You can do whatever you want. Now, for some of you, you might say, man, Jay, Jay you're getting a little mm -mm, whatever this morning. That's just what the Bible says. 
I mean, it's some simple way. I mean, I, I mean it's, it, it's a plum, this is the plumb line of whether or not we really love the Lord with all our heart. And we resist that. You know, we just sang some beautiful songs. We did. I about broke, I about broke out in the song. Brooke, I did. That would have been interesting this morning. Holy Spirit, in this place. Fill this place. Holy Spirit. Do we really want the fullness of God dwelling in our hearts and our minds today? Do we? I mean, that's a strong word for me. I'm talking about JJ. I can forget y'all. I can just talk to myself right here. Because it's, it, the, the temptation in the first century is the same thing today. All of these things that he mentions here is just a way to divert us from what? Personally and passionately loving the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with our soul. John is really concerned for the Christians there in, in, in Asia Minor and his passion. He, see, he sees their love for the Lord waning because of all this stuff that is coming into their world, into their lives. So he tells them, he says, look, you, you need to be aware. Don't be, don't be ignorant. The second thing is this, be alert. Now you notice this statement here in verse 18. He says, this is the last hour. There's an urgency here in John's voice. Maybe because he knows his days are limited. He's at the end of his life, but he's talking to the church there. And he's saying, there's an urgency. This is the last hour. I would submit to you, we are still in the last hour. I know he really believed the imminent return of Christ. But I will tell you, time, is, time that we know it has been divided already. In, in other words, the last hour began when Christ came. It will end. This season that we're in right now will end in His return. And what do you mean, Pastor? What do you mean? Listen, free, listen to me. Please hear this. There is a day right now, today. That's why in the Bible it says today's the day of salvation. Right now. There's no such thing as tomorrow, truthfully. There really is. It's always today. There's an urgency in John's heart that today, today, today that you would know Christ. Today that you would know the truth of Christ. That today you would know the fulfillment of Christ in your life. This is the season that we're in. Because there's coming a day where people will no longer be able to submit to Christ for Savior. But only as judge. It burdens his heart. When he looks around and sees what the church, that's us, the body of Christ, our calling, our responsibility before God right now is to present the gospel of the Lord to those around us. Make no mistake about it. God has called every one of us and anointed us to preach the gospel. But unfortunately, there were people that came in and began to divert that and began to lead them astray, began to say, well, that's not that big a deal. It doesn't matter if you're in the last hour or not. He says, literally, I mean, he says, even now some antichrist have come. That word, literally, it's a compound word. I mean, very clearly, Christos, it means Christ, and the, the word for anti, it means, it means against Christ. Now, this is not what you find in Revelation, the antichrist, that one that's going to come at the end of time. No, but he's saying there's a spirit of antichrist that's already come. It's, in fact, I mean, already, he said, I can see it at work, even among the believers, to, to, to devour and destroy and to literally move them away from being confident and unashamed before the Lord and His return. That word literally means this. Anyone who opposes Christ or seeks to supplant Him or falsely represent Him, he says, is the spirit of the Antichrist. 
So when John looks over the churches there in Asia Minor, he's greatly concerned. His heart is burdened because he's seeing these people and stuff are popping up that is not biblical. It's not true. What do, what do you mean by that? There were some in his day that did not believe that Christ literally came in the flesh. That he didn't become literally human. That he wasn't really born. That somehow mystically and spiritually he just showed up on the scene and all of a sudden he really didn't die on the cross. He, he just acted like he did. And you're thinking to myself, I mean for us we said, oh that's horrible. But it was happening in the first century. Friend, you don't have to look very hard today, am I wrong? I mean, you can go, listen, you walk around wherever you want to walk. People, people will scoff at the reality of Christ and the need to submit to Him as Lord and Savior. I mean, come on, y'all. There are people all around promoting the truth. Now, you can live however you want to. It doesn't really matter. In fact, some people will say everybody's going to heaven. It doesn't really matter what you do. I remember having a conversation with a lady one time. And she was, I mean, this is, I mean, this is the mindset. She had been trained, all, she had been brought up believing she was never going to go to heaven. Ever. And she was okay with that. It broke my heart. I'll be honest with you. I'm like, what do you mean? We all need a Savior. And she just acted like, no, it really doesn't matter. We're just going to exist. I said, no, 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 no. There's no just existing. You're either with Him or you're not. You're either with Him in glory or you're in hell. There's no, this, Satan has forever tried to create this little middle ground, and it's not there. John saw this, and it just broke his heart. This spirit of Antichrist had come in and just really began to lead people astray, distort the Word of God. And it started with the scriptural view. They just totally denied the incarnation, the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. They just totally uh, lied, said that's not true. And he said, uh, he said, if anyone ever promotes any teaching that is contrary to the Word of God, that constitutes the spirit of the Antichrist. Now I say all this because John's heart's breaking here. But he also gives them, I guess I want to say, I'm going to move it to the good news. I mean, he's really trying to say in, in the last thing here, is, is if we're going to be a children of God who are confident and unashamed before His coming, here it is, he says, be abiding. Now that's my words. He said, remain in Him. Stay in Him. Over and over again from verses 20 through 25, over and over again, stay in Him, remain in Him. You know the truth. What you had from the beginning, remain in you. Don't divert from it. Remain in Him and the Father. Over and over again. Now, I would submit to you, John, as you know, wrote John's gospel. God used him in that. John 15, 5 says, abide in Him. Jesus said, abide in me, and you'll bear much fruit. He, he correlated our relation to Him as the vine uh, uh, to the branches. It's from Christ alone that we receive our nourishment, the ability to stay firm and true. To Him. It's from Him alone. In other words, He has not left us on our own to do this thing. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It'd be a hot mess if it was all about me. I mean, it really would. It'd be horrible. Thank you. Now, John uses the word, the anointing. Verse 20, you, look at this. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. So I would submit to you, the very first thing is, God wants us to abide in Him. We have all the resources we will ever need in Christ. And the empowerment, the person of God, the Holy Spirit. He calls it the anointing. It's a, it's a, it's a reference here that he references to the, the, to the Holy Spirit of God. Literally, figuratively, that's what he's talking about. The word anointing literally means charisma. It means to anoint with oil, to cover, to saturate. And in this context, he's saying it's the Holy Spirit of God that invades our life, permeates our life, every aspect of our life, that enables us to be confident 
and unashamed at His coming. The Holy Spirit of God. I would submit to you today, thanks be to God, it is by the Holy Spirit of God that God enables us to live the Christian life. If you could do it on your own, you didn't need a Savior. If you could get religious enough to act like you love Jesus, friend, there is no way under heaven that any of us can ever be all that God wants to be unless we are relying, trusting, and depending on the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life on a daily basis. There's no way. And the good news, we have Him. Hallelujah. Good. Now, I know y'all looking at me like I, it's a weird man up here. I'm t- thanks be to God. I'm telling you, thanks be to God. Hallelujah. We're not alone. When God calls us to abide in Him, we have all we need. The anointing God, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our life. And John knew that, and he reminds the Christians here. Yeah, there's much turmoil from within. There's great persecution from without. But mm, praise be to God, you've got one. The anointing, the Holy Spirit of God leading, guiding, creating in you confidence. The ability to speak openly about this Jesus, this gospel. Unashamed, that means holy and pure, set apart for the glory of God. Not wishy-washy, one way here, one way there, but true. Singleness of heart. A person of uh, integrity. That means you're perfect. It means you're forgiven. Unashamed at His return. So the anointing of God. Now I will tell you that the Holy Spirit of God, the two things real quickly here. I know. Two things that the Holy Spirit of God is going to lead us into is the truth of God and the hope of God. I want you to see this in the Bible. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Two things about this. Please hear me. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the Thank you, church. Truth is a person, not an objective reality. When we talk about knowing the truth, you're talking about knowing Jesus Christ personified. How do we know him? Because Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit of God makes us know. In other words, when we talk about communion and walking with him, it's not a little something activity we do. It's about living in a way where we know him personally, passionately on a daily basis. So I don't do my job anymore just like I used to do a job. But I do a job now knowing that Christ, the truth, is in my heart, in my life, walking with me. Wherever you walk, truth walks with you. And let me tell you this, the truth mm -hmm, will set you free. And I'm just so thankful. So the Holy Spirit of God leads us into the truth of God. Now, now let let me say this. The second part of that truth is this word. The word of God. And John knew that. John knew that if we're going to be confident and unashamed, then this word has to take root in our heart. In our little, I call it Sunday school, little life group this morning, we talked about, go back to Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. This word, this word, we've already, yeah, some of y'all been with me on Wednesday night, this word is living and active sharper than a two-edged sword. Y'all know that. I call on Roy right now to finish it. Right? I mean, I know you know this word. But man, when we fall in love with Jesus, the truth, and all of a sudden fall in love with His Word, which is true, the results of that is a life that is unashamed and confident before the Lord at His return. Now the last thing is this, the Holy Spirit's going to lead us not just into the truth, but into the hope. I want you to see this. 
In verse 24, he says, See that you have, what you have heard from me from the beginning remains in you. If it does, listen to this, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And here it is. And this is what he has promised us, even eternal life. What do I mean by this? When we are confident and unashamed before the Lord and the Holy Spirit reigning and ruling in our heart, when we get aligned to the truth of God, we are walking in the assurance and the hope that this life is not the, all there is. There is an eternal life for all those who have come through the blood of Jesus. So I say that to you. They were under severe persecution. We, are, we may or may not be in severe persecution today, but there's all kinds of struggles from within and without. And John's reminding the Christians there, uh, hang on, don't lose hope in the Lord. In fact, this hope is not based on my circumstances, but on the eternal reality of the Son of God, the truth of God. We have a hope that this world knows nothing of. In fact, you want to chase the things of the world, it'll leave you hopeless. It'll act like it'll feel, but it won't. But if you'll turn your hearts to the Lord and take in all that God has, then that hope will last forever. In fact, he, goes, he says it'll be promised not just now, but forevermore. It is this hope that we hang on to. It's this hope that enables us to what? Live each day, regardless of what I'm walking in, for the glory of God. So my heart is for you as well. I hope you hear my heart. I hope so. Outside of the craziness, my little loudness at times, a little whatever. I hope you hear my heart. My heart, I, my heart is bursting this morning that we, as a people of God, would be confident and unashamed at His coming. Because He's coming. God, enable us to walk in confidence. Walk in a way that no longer am I ashamed, but I'm walking in freedom, and I'm walking in the fullness of what it means to be a Christian living under the leadership of the Holy Spirit today. Father, we praise you today, and I thank you, Lord. What a glorious day today is that we can gather in your name. God, I just am so thankful for your word. I thank you for your Holy Spirit here today. I thank you for those that came to the altar and just confessed and turned to you. God, in their life right now, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would reign and rule God, have your way. God, we need to be a people depending, trusting, relying upon you and you alone. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So here we go. We are, um, here's what I want us to do. We're going to take a moment this morning. We're going to, you going to lead us in a song? Yeah, you got us all. Good. So I'm going to ask y'all to stand. Y'all go ahead and stand with me this morning. Well, let, let me be clear. I have to get back up over here so I can see everybody. Friend, if you know that God's leading you to unite with this fellowship, then blessed be the name of the Lord. So I want to be clear here because some of you may not... It's, it's real simple. One, just make that public. Profess that publicly. Say, hey, this is where God has brought us. This is where we're going to be. This is going to be our home. We want to make that public. In that process, we're going to have a conversation about your faith in Christ. And we also have what we call a membership matters class. That'll, I think the next one's going to be in a few weeks. And we'll walk through that. What does it mean to be a member of Flint Hill? 
First and foremost, it means you know Christ. So we'll get that settled. But then I also want to understand, what does it mean to be a member? Because there's important things about that. But, but make, make certain, if that's on your heart, at some point, you need to make that public. You need to let people know, I'm, this is where God's calling me to give my life to serve Him for His glory. So if God's moving on your heart, then I invite you to come. and This morning, tell me, Pastor, this is where God's calling me. This is where we need to be. So we're going to sing a song of invitation. Father, we just praise you this morning. God, help us to worship you. And if anyone's here today and needs to come forward, let them come forward for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.